This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. I want to just talk to you a few minutes about prayer again, but had on my mind this week that if anybody had a story you'd like to tell, uh, that we'd give you a chance to do that. Some, some people might call this testimony. Uh, I wanted to get away from that word this morning because it sounds a little bit clinical and sometimes a little bit religious, and so we'll drop that and just say story. But we need to hear a God story or two. I didn't give advance notice on this because I didn't want anybody to write a three-point sermon and come up and uh, spend a half hour. But if you've got a story you could tell in three or four or five minutes about something that um, the Lord has done or is doing in your life, really specifically if it could be around you know the past month or so as we've been talking about prayer, because the Lord's been answering prayers. I don't know if any of the rest of you are aware of that, but the Lord has been hearing and the Lord has been responding and the Lord has been answering prayers. And we know why, right? And yes, it's because He's God and He's all-powerful and He has the ability to do that, but it's also because we are praying the right way and we are praying out of the right context and we are praying based on the right principles and we're praying as an act of obedience but it also is born out of our lifestyle of obedience because we know that when it comes to our prayer life that God really pays attention to the prayers of righteous people It's the righteous whose prayers are effective. It's the righteous whose prayers penetrate all the junk and get through to the ears of God. It's the righteous who sometimes their prayers are interrupted, intercepted, intervened by the Holy Spirit, and He begins to pray for us, right? The unrighteous cannot lay claim to that privilege. They cannot expect that God is going to attend to in a loving, fatherly way just anything they start yelling at Him about. So the Lord is answering prayers. You know, last Sunday we were in here and um, some of Deborah Hardy's family was here and we had prayer time together. It was a sweet prayer time. It was an anointed prayer time and her husband was going in for a heart cath early this past week because he had blockages in his heart. Well, he got there for the procedure and he had no blockages in his heart. So, you know, doctors can make mistakes, can be complete coincidence, whatever you need to believe. What I choose to believe is, is that the fervent prayers of righteous people here and before that, here last Sunday and before that, the previous week by members of his family and then as the week started approaching that time, that those prayers were effective and that God heard and answered prayer and worked a miracle. Amen? That's not the only thing that's going on. That's not the only prayer that's being answered or has been answered. Anybody have a story? Real quick. Monica? Yeah. He's not here. He has to tell you all this. 
So we moved Jackson into ABAC in Tifton last week. And um, his room, his tuition and fees is paid for by scholarship, but room and board is not. And I had to fill out a lot of applications for student loans in his name. Um, and it's going to be several, it's, it's not horrible, but it's a few thousand dollars. And so the little things we've been trying to do on our own. So I went to the store with him and we bought stuff for his dorm. And it was a couple of hundred dollars and then he had to have a new computer and that we had to reach into a savings that, is, that Cassie and Keith had set up for him and we had to give him some money and so it was time to buy books. And we'd been warned books are going to be, you know, at least three or four hundred dollars. And so um, Jackson started praying about having the money to buy his books. And um, so he said, Mama, they told me to go to my classes first, not to buy the books first. So on Sunday before the Tuesday that school started back, he played a trivia game with a the team. They won $200, and he was the captain, so he got to keep 80 of it, and he gave 60 to the other two kids. So Tuesday, all of his classes said, don't buy the book. You don't need the book. Wednesday, he goes to college algebra, and they said, you got to buy the book, and this is what you need. So he goes to the bookstore, and it was exactly $75. And so he texts me, and he says, Mama, I prayed. I asked God to make sure I had the money to buy my books, and I needed $75, and I won 80 And so he didn't have to go into his bank account. So I thought y'all would like to hear that. Outstanding. Yeah. Jackson's a young man who's committed his heart to the Lord, his life in service and worship. The Lord's listening. Can y'all hear me? No. Okay. No, I'm, I just don't want to stand. Okay, you guys know that I was working really hard on getting my license and all that good stuff, thanks to Sully, because he helped me so much and I got my license last year, my learning license and I was pushed so hard by Pastor Jeff and um, all you guys and I got my real license about a couple months after that and I got a vehicle and now I got a job. You know there are <clears throat> times along the way that Shamika and her family could have just walked away, moved on, gotten frustrated by stuff, gotten frustrated by the slowness of the process, right? <laughs> but they committed to the process. So Miss Wanda, who is part of our family here, but who is now at House of Cherith in Atlanta, um, used to live in a little dinky motel down here south of town. And she would clean there to, as a trade-off for her room. And it's not a really, um, you know, I don't want to insult the people who run it, so it's just not the, the nicest of places, and maybe all the people who live there are not the greatest of people. But that's that's what she had because she's had no job and uh, no transportation and lots of issues in her life and finally she made the decision to start a process to get better and to get help and so we got her up there 
And she um, has been a, a great resident, has been uh, very diligent in her programs. And so uh, a few weeks ago, she fell and she broke her kneecap. And it was right as she had graduated from the CNA program. So she had worked hard enough to get her CNA. And she was very excited about that. And then she has this setback. Well, the setback's been very frustrating because it's hindered uh, the the uh, process of job interviews and people really taking a serious look at her because she has a brace on and hard to get around and the brace is, goes from hip to ankle practically and it's very cumbersome and not comfortable. And so recently she's gotten, um, you know, she's gotten a little bit of a bad attitude and started arguing with some people and had some conflicts with staff and was on the verge this past week of being dismissed. So they came to me and said, listen, uh, here's the situation, but before we make that decision, would you be willing to come in and sit down in the room with Miss Wanda and her clinician and just have a conversation? And I said, of course. So I went in and I listened to her event, you know, her problems, the things that are going on, the people she's having a problem with. And her clinician talked a little bit and then, um, you know, it, it came my turn. I just said to her, I said, Wanda, you know, you're in a process and you need to think back about where you were a few months ago. You need to think about what's happened to you along the way. You need to think about where you are now. But in addition to all that, you need to examine the price tag now that you're going to have to pay if you make a, keep making decisions that are going to get you dismissed from the program. So you have the option, you're blessed to be able to examine the price tag in advance because not everybody gets that chance. Not everybody pauses to do that. Not everybody really can see it that clearly. I said, so if you continue along this path instead of remaining committed to the process, where do you end up? Do you end up back down at the motel? Do you end up back having to work like that just to earn your room? Do you end up back addicted to cigarettes because they soothe your nerves a little bit? Do you end up back with no money in your pocket? Do you end up back not being able to use your training? Do you end up back with filth and nonsense and criminal activity going on around you? Do you end up under a bridge in Atlanta? Do you end up whatever, whatever? I said, these are things that may be part of the price tag, but what you do know is that price is going to be big and it's going to be ugly. So she settled herself. She recommitted to the process. She's being affirmed on, from every side by staff up there who love her and care about her. And the thing for all of us is we have to understand that the, the way is a pathway that involves a long obedience toward the goal that we're after. Not flashes and flares, not just big bam blessings and we're done, but getting up every morning, recommitting to whatever the steps are that God wants us to complete that day. You know, uh, the Scripture doesn't say that our, our whole lives in one lump in an instant are ordered by the Lord or we're guaranteed this, that, or the other by the Lord. What it says, says is the steps of a righteous person. Step. One step at a time. The steps of a righteous person 
are ordered by the Lord. And it's one step at a time. So I love these stories. And um, we're going to look at a powerful story here for just a few minutes this morning that really, really illustrates this the truths that we've been talking about around prayer. And so prayer, you know, we've determined is one of four very important pillars on which the faith and discipleship and this thing we call the way are built on, you know, and that's the word and prayer and worship and service. And so it's everything tips and falls and tumbles and crumbles without prayer. You know, it's very important. We can't just have it bypass us. Just one of those religious words that just in one ear and out the other. And so we've taken a look at all these scriptures. You know, last week was just how, how many verses, how many places did we go in the Word to look at instruction about prayer and to look at examples and models and truths and principles of prayer. And so... Um, we started the service last week with Psalm 3. We'll put that up on the screen just to, to kick us off here. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So a powerful prayer by David. Acknowledging the problems, acknowledging the vastness and the numbers of enemies that are surrounding him on every side, acknowledging that in and of himself there's no way he can face this enemy or these enemies that have come up against him. Without God, he has nothing. Without God, he is nothing. Without God, he can accomplish nothing. And he acknowledges that in this prayer. And then the book of James chapter 5 where we everything else took us to this last week. Because this is the prayer that church people like to talk about. This is, this is the instruction on prayer that is chock full of promise. It is, it is full of blessing opportunities. He says, is anyone, among you in, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops." So we love that because it promises us that if we're sick, if we're in trouble, we have a way to address that, and that the potential results of 
handling that, it that way is that God will work miracles, that God will heal our sicknesses, that God will deliver us from our troubles, right? We love that. Who wouldn't? But what we tend to do is to leave out the qualifiers. And there are qualifiers all over the place here, just like there are promises. Qualifiers such as you got to have faith. You don't just come yelling at God ex with an expectation, but you don't have a faith that's built off of everything that you've seen Him do already, everything that you know is in His Word, confirmation by the Holy Spirit, what He's teaching you day by day as you walk in obedience. It's a qualifier that we have faith. We're all given a measure of faith, but the measure is supposed to grow. It's supposed to develop. It's supposed to mature. It's supposed to get bigger and more powerful as we live our lives in the way. Another qualifier is that we confess our sins. Like I said last week, we want to ask God to forgive us, and we want to ask God to heal our disease. We want to ask God to deliver us from all the trouble and all the enemies that are around us, but we don't want to forgive the person that we're carrying around that grudge toward, which doesn't work that way. It's a qualifier. So we have to pay attention to the whole business inside the context in which it is presented and not just pluck out and cherry pick the things that make us feel good. That we think we can get something out of it. This is God's plan, not our plan. Now, James 5 gives us an example. So, if we can go to, yeah, right here. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So I've known about Elijah for a long time. I've, I've, heard, it pre I've heard people preach about his life. I've heard lots of lessons, and, and people know who Elijah is, if you're familiar at all with the Christian faith. But in addition to that, Elijah's name is very prominent in the world, even in other religions. You know that in Islam, Elijah is revered as a very important religious person in history, a very important prophet. He's included in their writings and in their teachings as one of the people in the history of humanity who was important in giving godly counsel to God's people. So he, he's prominent. He's very prominent. And his name is very familiar. But James points out that he was a human being even as we are. That's a good place to start. It's any of these folks we're talking about. It's good for us to start with the fact that they were human beings just like we are. So whether it's Mary saying, I'm your servant, let it be to me just as you've declared. Mother of Messiah, yes, but a human being first, right? Whether it's Thomas saying, my Lord and my God, 
an apostle, a follower, a questioner who got answers to his questions and because of the answers he received went on to become a person who spread the name and the word and the truth of Jesus Christ throughout the known world. A guy like Peter who said, Lord, save me when he was sinking in the water. These prominent people, prominent names, folks that when we call their names these days, we know who they are, but they were human beings first. David, king of Israel, the greatest king to ever serve the nation, phenomenal worshiper, phenomenal warrior, phenomenal songwriter, phenomenal musician, phenomenal writer, was a human being. He suffered, struggled, got sick, he got cold, he got hot, he got hungry. He was a human being. Elijah was a human being. The name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. Some scholars say that that name was probably put on him that may not have been his birth name, but because of the way he lived, because of his life of obedience to God, because of his response to his calling, they began to call him my God is Yahweh. Elijah, I don't know. I just know that when I reread James chapter 5 and the instructions on prayer this week and I saw that Elijah was given as an example, I started to dig in and study this man's life at deeper levels than I ever have. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Ahab is the king and his wife's name is Jezebel and they are ruling the nation and they're evil people. What makes them especially dangerous is that they still keep Yahweh in the equation. But they also add lots of other things, elements of lots of other religions. They also set up other idols and they worship other gods in addition to Yahweh. How many of you know you're much better off just to leave Yahweh over there and go chase after your other gods than you are to keep him in the mix with your other gods. So they had this mixed up, murky, perverted, polluted kind of a religious environment under the rulership of Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah gets a word from the Lord and he takes it straight to the king in an act of obedience. And he says, listen, Here's what's going to happen because of the way you're ruling the nation. Here's what's going to happen because of your perverted worship. The Lord is about to send a serious drought on the land and it's going to last for several years. And you're not going to see a drop of rain. You're not going to hear a clap of thunder. You're not going to see a bolt of lightning. You're not even going to see a drop of dew on a single leaf while the drought is going on. Let me tell you what is so interesting and, and really a little bit humorous about that. You see, the most prominent God that they had chosen to worship and idolize in addition to Yahweh in the land under the rulership of Ahab and Jezebel was somebody called Baal. Well, guess what Baal was the God of? He was God of rain. He was God of lightning and thunder. 
He was God of the dew. So God sends Elijah to the king and says, listen, everything that this God you're worshiping is about, my God, the one true God, is going to demonstrate to you that they are powerless, ineffective, impotent, that his power is the only power you can trust. So he's going to counteract everything that this God normally does for you. We're going to see who the true God is. And so, over three years pass, not a drop of rain, not a drop of dew anywhere, and the land is parched and dry and nothing is growing. It's turning into a really, really serious situation for the nation. So Elijah comes back, to Ahab, and he walks in the room, and Ahab looks at him and says, there you are, Israel's troublemaker. And I love Elijah's response. He looks at him and says, me? The troublemaker? You have brought all this trouble on your people because of your refusal to acknowledge the one true God. And because of your worship of false gods, you're the one who's brought the trouble. And he says, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? How long will you go on presenting half of the truth? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. But stop trying to follow both because it amounts to a limp. And see, the folks used to get out in front of the gods. You had Baal and you had one called Asherah, which was a sex goddess. And they did all sorts of ridiculous and vile things out in, in public around these idols that had been set up. And one of the main things they loved to do was they loved to dance around the idols. So they would dance around the Asherah pole and they would dance around the idol that was set up to Baal. And they would have a party and they would worship and they would get drunk and they would have orgies. And the word limp that Elijah uses when he's talking to Ahab is the same word as the word dance that they would use when they were talking about their festivals and their feasts and their celebrations and worship to these idols. And they're calling it dancing, but Elijah's calling it out for what it really is. It's nothing more than a limp. It has no impact. It's not taking you anywhere positive. All it's doing is keeping God's people stuck in this rut where they are and impeding their progress to go to the places and do the things and realize what he has for them. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? So I think we have to stop right there, as we frequently do, and sort of do little self-evaluations, right? Because if we're not hearing it, we can't do anything. And then once we hear it, it it's not going to impact us. It's not going to affect us. It's not going to change us unless we evaluate where we are and say, what do I need to do with this? Is there anything going in my, on in my life that I need to address 
Is Yahweh the only God I'm serving? Is Yahweh the only God I'm worshiping? Is my dance before Him pure? Is my lifestyle born out of truth? Am I living in obedience to His Word? Is my life confirmed by His Holy Spirit on a regular basis? I don't want to be limping. I want to really be dancing. But you know what, folks? You cannot dance around multiple gods. It's just a limp. The dance can... Remember David dancing? Remember that? Remember when they brought the ark back down the road? And David is following it and he's like a maniac stripping his clothes off and dancing like a wild man as they're going down the street? How many gods do you think he was worshiping? One. One. Read the Psalms. Read the story of the life of David. Always doing the same things over and over. Always crying out to God. Always worshiping. Always listening for God's voice and walking in obedience to what he was hearing. And when he did fall into rebellion and disobedience, what did he do? He immediately acknowledged it and repented and got up and did not allow himself to be consumed by guilt over the things that he had done wrong. But instead, he pressed on into the heart of God for the next thing God had for him. No dancing around multiple idols. No toying around with other gods. You know, when I go to Jamaica, one of the most frustrating things with the churches down there, some of them, is that, yes, they're Christian churches, and yes, they do believe in Jesus Christ as, as Messiah, and yes, they do worship God, but they mix in all this other little mysticism and this little nonsense and stuff they pull in because, because the, 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 the nation was founded by the Spanish, and then the British came in and took over, and then the Haitians started to come over, and so their little influence is there. And then back in the early 70s, Fidel Castro came over and tried to implement communism, and he built schools, and, and so some of those philosophies were mixed in, and it's still there. So that you go in a, a church to worship but you have to deal with a lot of other nonsense just to press in to be able to really dance before the one true God. I don't want any of that. <clears throat> don't want any of it. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? There's only one opinion. There's only one truth. So, Elijah says, all right, let's do this. You call in your prophets... And we're going we're gonna to see who is the one true God. We're going to see who has the power. We're going to see who is effective and who's just creating an environment where we can limp. So they call in the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. They also call in the prophets of Asherah, 400 more. So now you have 850 prophets to two other gods, representatives of those religions, over here, and over here, you've got one man. I'd like to take about an hour 
and just and just elaborate on that and how the church looks so much like that these days you still have these voices crying in the wilderness right you still have the true prophets the true spokesmen the true mouthpieces of God almighty they're still here sometimes they're hard to find because you have so many other voices that are presenting some part of God, some aspect of His Word, but they have all sorts of other junk mixed in with it. Here's Elijah, the solitary figure. 850 prophets who are not denying that Yahweh is a God. They just are denying that He is the God. And so they're all standing out here. And so Elijah says, all right, going to give your prophets an opportunity to pray. Remember, the effective prayers of righteous people produce great results. So they start to pray. And they pray from daylight until noon. 850 of them. There's power in agreement, right? Among righteous people, yes. There's power in numbers, right? Among those who are only focused on one true God, yes. There's power when we raise our voices together, when we assemble ourselves together, right? When we've confessed our sins, when we've forgiven those who've sinned against us, when we've experienced an awash of God's salvation one more time, yes. But just because you have a room full of people praying and making noise doesn't mean that it's an effective prayer. They pray from daylight till noon and not a single thing changes in the environment. Not a drop of rain, not a sound of thunder, not even a drop of dew. And so Elijah says, do you need more time? And they become frustrated and they begin to wail and they begin to cut themselves because that's what they did. One of the ways they worshipped in their perverted and polluted way was to cut themselves and shed their own blood and smear it all over themselves and all over each other and to mix their blood with the blood of the sacrifice. In this case, they had built an altar. They had covered the altar with wood. They had put an ox, on, cut it up and put it on top of the altar, and that's the sacrifice, and they would mingle their blood with the blood of the sacrifice. Perversion, pollution, mixing other stuff into the truth. So he gives them the afternoon and they pray again from noon until sundown. And nothing. Not a single drop. And Elijah says, okay. Now we'll see what Yahweh has planned. And he begins to build a little altar, puts it together. He puts some wood on it, and he sacrifices or he, he uh, slaughters an ox, cuts it up, and puts it on top of the altar. 
Then he asks for a pickaxe and a shovel. And he starts to dig. And he digs a trench all the way around the altar. Digs a ditch all the way around. He says, all right, are you ready to pray, Elijah? No, not yet. First, I want you to do this. I want you to bring me four jars of water. Now, when you're talking about jars in that day and time, you're talking about vessels probably like that, filled with water. Guess what's going on? Remember what's going on? There's a drought going on. There's a severe shortage of water here. This man is asking for us to waste gallons and gallons of water. They bring the four jars and he picks them up and he pours them all over the sacrifice, drenches all the wood, asks for them to be refilled again, asks for them to be refilled a third time. Three times he takes four jars of water and pours it all over the sacrifice and the altar and the wood and fills up the ditch with water. Listen, I don't know what, I don't know what little thing you're facing. I don't know what's going on with you necessarily. I don't know what your obstacle is. I don't know what other gods are yelling and trying to get your attention. I don't know what the, the very nature and the specifics of your enemies look like right now. But the God we serve doesn't play. None of that matters to Him. The, the circumstances are irrelevant to His ability to step into your situation and work a miracle. However mean they are, however problematic the situation is, no matter how much it looks and feels insurmountable, your God, the one true God, is able to step in the middle of it, drenched in water, covered up with all the nonsense and layers and layers and layers of junk that have been added on through the years, and peel it back and work a miracle. That's why Elijah does all this. There's not going to be any, any question marks when this is done. There's not going to be any confusion when the results come in. There's not going to be anybody standing around wondering, was this really an act of God? Saturates, fills the ditch, and then he prays. And he prays for a little bit and nothing happens. He sends a guy running and says, see if you see anything over there. No. Just keep praying. Keep believing. Keep focusing on one, one, one. We'll start worrying about this water. We'll start doubting our obedience to what God told us to do. One. He said, do it. We do it. The things start piling up. People start heckling and laughing and pointing fingers. We continue to do it because he said do it. And he prays and he prays. And finally the messenger said, I see a little bitty cloud. Sort of looks like it's coming together out there over the water. Probably nothing. 
Oh, probably is something actually. And it grows and it rolls up and the wind kicks up and the clouds are pushed in and all of a sudden, right? Guess what happens? Fire. <laughs> you got an altar drenched in water. It looks like rain is coming and fire comes down out of heaven and eats up, completely destroys, annihilates everything that's here, including the water. Fire. Where's this fire come from? It wasn't a lightning strike. That hadn't happened yet. It wasn't some freak of nature. The fire just came straight from God, descended on the situation, burned up everything that was there. And then the prophets, the prophets are killed, the prophets are executed. And then God sends the rain. So Elijah, walking in obedience, listening for the voice of God, he's just a human being, but here he is. In James chapter 5, his name is called, and it says Elijah was a human being even as we are, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. There are other little stories about Elijah that we don't have time to cover them all, but he raises the dead. He miraculously provides food. He sees lots of situations happen where the hand of God is obviously on his life and God is working through his life. And then in Psalm 3, let's go back to Psalm 3 real quick. Lord, how many are my foes? I was just thinking about Elijah as I was reading that again this morning. 850 prophets around me. An evil king and queen that are in charge of things here. Maybe God should run away from a situation like this. Many people are saying God's going to run away from you. Many people are saying God's not going to deliver you. Many people are saying you're doomed. Many people are saying that you're never going to come out of that poverty. Many people are saying you're always going to have to deal with that pain. Many people are saying your loved one is never going to come to know the Lord. People are saying that the grief is never going to subside. People are saying that depression is always going to rule who you are. But David says, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I will call out to the Lord and He answers me from His holy mount. That's Elijah, that's you and me. And then when Jesus is alive on the earth, there comes a time when He goes to a mountain and experiences something that's described as the transfiguration. And a great light shines on Him and it's obvious that the Spirit of God is there. And there are two people who show up 
to be there for this experience with him. One is Moses and the other is Elijah. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous person produces great results. It might be presumptuous of me or of you to think, well, I can be like Elijah. My prayers can be that effective. But I don't think it's presumptuous. I really don't. I think it's the way we ought to think. Not that we have a goal of being somebody important. Not that we have a goal of folks calling our names and us being famous. Not that we have a goal of experiencing any particular blessing or provision that we have on our minds that we think would be good for us. But the reason I think it's okay to feel like that we can be like Elijah is because we have the same opportunity to hear God's words. He was human, I'm human. He chose obedience, I'm going to choose obedience. He lived his life listening intently for the voice of God, that's what I'm going to do. He responded to that voice by going and doing exactly what God told him to do, that's what I'm going to do. He was not afraid or intimidated when all these enemies surrounded him. I'm not going to be either. He understood that the battle was the Lord's. It wasn't his to win anyway. I'm not going to look at it that way either. Why can't I be like Elijah? Why can't you be like Elijah? Why do we dance around with more than one partner? When we know that if we connect with the one true partner, that our prayers are going to be powerful and effective, we're going to see God do stuff. See, we see good things happening around here. Anton sent me a picture um, yesterday, I think, of the house that they're remodeling. Okay? Anton, Sherry, stand up for a minute. Let me embarrass y'all without permission. Okay, y'all see these folks? Stand up. Stand up with them because you're part of it. You're part of it. So I'm going to play prophet for a minute, okay? I'm going to play prophet. What What you're looking at here is... A picture, a human picture right here in front of us of what once was destruction, mockery, the enemy mocking, the enemy destroying, the enemy killing, killing, the enemy stealing from them. Anton was, was destined according to standards according to the rule the enemy had in his life to be dead by now. He was going to be dead by now. Sherry was going to be left without him. Sherry was going to be left in poverty, confused, hurt, broken, 
and angry again because she had suffered hurt and loss previously in her life. And now here it happens again. The pathway that they were on was a pathway of complete and utter disaster and destruction. Sorrow, sadness, failure, defeat, and death. But one day Anton said, I want help. And he laid down everything, every way he thought he could help himself. He said, I'm helpless. I just want help. And he went away. See, these things are not easy. He decided he wasn't going to dance with multiple gods. He's going to pay the price. And he went away. He left his wife for several months. And we took care of her while he was gone. And we took care of him while he was gone. And if he's going to tell you the truth, he's going to tell you that there were times even while he was away when the prophets all gathered up against him. And the enemies were there surrounding him with their taunts and their jeers. And the pain was real. And the detox was real. And he almost gave up. Some of you remember Mason Hammond. We sent him down there at the same time and he gave up and he walked away. And Anton almost walked away with him. Because what happens with a lot of these folks is they get there and they think, well, I've gone through enough of it to where I think I'm good now. No. He dug in. He stayed. He stuck it out. And since he's been back... His entire attitude has been, I'm only dancing with one God. I'm only listening for one voice. And I'm going to respond in obedience to that voice. So when it comes time for discipleship here, he's here. When it comes time for discipleship on Wednesdays, he's here. When it comes time for fireside men's group and one word discussions, he's here. And I know at City of Refuge on Wednesday mornings, we do a men's Bible study. He's there. And I know that he's doing these things on his own and he's listening for that one voice and he's responding in obedience to that one voice. And Sherry's doing the same thing. And guess what's happening, y'all? Life, freedom, renewal, peace. And it takes on practical, uh, it takes on a practical side as well as a spiritual side. To where they, they, they look good. Y'all can sit down. I mean, keep standing up the whole time. And listen, it's not, about, it's not about the people. They're human beings. It's about the work of God in their lives. Because God is writing a story. He just wants us to, to evaluate and find out what is my role in His story. And that's what they're doing. So you know what they've gone from? They've gone from a dinky little dingy house up here in town over to the upstairs apartment above Stephen's business to another small house out by the schools to now remodeling their own home beautifully 
with good stuff. He sends me pictures where somebody had donated cabinets, beautiful cabinets to go in it. Somebody donated beautiful tile to go on the floor. This man's blessed with the ability to do the work. And they're going to move into a house that for all practical purposes is a new house. And they're a family. And you see this young man right here? Had Anton not made the decision to submit and surrender and say, I'm going to dance with one God. He's not sitting here. Those relationships are not being restored. Relationships with other children that are on the way. Believe me, listen, miracles have happened and miracles are going to continue to happen because they have kids that are still out there that they are not in relationship with in terms of being able to see them all the time and do life together. But that's coming. Why? Because the effective, fervent prayers of righteous people produces God results. And God results are good results and God results are permanent results. So, there's this great story. It's not the only story in the room. It's not the only story of associated with our house here, but it is a great story that continues to grow and develop. So we're committed to dancing with one God, worshiping one God, listening for the voice of one God, evaluating what our role is in His story day by day, walking in obedience to every piece of His purpose for our lives. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You for the stories that you're writing for our privilege to be characters in your story. We submit ourselves to it. We say your kingdom come, your will be done in us and through us perfectly as it's done perfectly in heaven every day. We ask for your daily bread, which is going to nourish us spiritually, which is going to transform us from the inside out, which is made specifically for us and whatever we're facing in life. We thank you that you forgive us perpetually as we perpetually forgive others and that you are the one who is at war with evil and we leave that to you because we can't manage it. And we love you and we're grateful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.